Who's, uh, who's enjoying this weather, hey? Has anyone ever heard of this thing called autumn? It is apparently coming. I'm really excited because I got a second bout of hay fever this year. Thanks to this, uh, I see some supportive nods. So those supportive nods will continue this morning for me if I do offer a few extra sound effects through the microphone because I am a bit sniffly this morning. But we'll push through anyway. We're going to study the Word of God this morning, which is an incredible opportunity. I, I just remind, was reminded this morning about 2 Timothy 3.16, which tells us that all Scripture was recorded and given to us for three purposes, to show us what we need to do with our life, to show us what we're doing wrong with our life, and to equip us. So any time that we have the opportunity to study the Word of God, that is the expectation of what it can do in our life. It's not just 20, 25 minutes, maybe an hour and a half on a Sunday morning of preaching and studying the Word of God. I saw those people support me there. We'll go for it. No morning tea today. We can push through. But it's an opportunity for our hearts to be open to what God wants to say and an opportunity for our minds to be renewed as we read the Word of God. And we're, we're looking as, at a, as a church this year at the theme of being all in, that we live our life completely all in for God, for what He has for us and for the mission that we can join in that He is doing in the world. And in this series, we're looking at All In For Love, which comes from a great passage in Mark chapter 12 that we're going to read again this morning, verse 28 to 31. And it says, One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate that Jesus was having. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Remember, we have the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament that we all you know, probably can recite most of them and hopefully abide by all of them. And, uh, and, and since that time in the Old Testament, the Jewish people had created hundreds more different laws and commandments that they had to follow. So, so this religious teacher... This person is confronting Jesus and saying, well, of all of those, all of those, let me paint you into a corner. Let me try and trick you. Which one is more important than the other? And Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Everything summed up into two commandments, love God, love each other. And in this series, we're exploring that first commandment that Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your body, all your mind, and all your strength. And last week, Steve talked about Loving the Lord with all your heart. And this week we're going to look at loving the Lord God with all your soul. Now the soul is an interesting thing. It's a, it's a word that we have, we have created a meaning about. I mean, if you go into, into YouTube, which I, I did just for fun, and I typed in what is my soul just to see what came up. And it's incredible the amount of belief and statements that have been created about this thing we call a soul. 
You can go to YouTube, and I don't recommend it, but you can go and find out how old your soul is, where your soul has been previously before it was in your body, what color your soul is. You can even find an animal that might be associated with your soul. And you would, you would know and believe and realize that there is this, this kind of mythology that we have created around what a soul is. And when we think of the word soul, we straight away, or I do, and perhaps you agree with me, we, we imagine this, this uh, kind of separate, distinct part of our being that we call a soul. It's immortal, it's a spirit, it's kind of like we divide ourselves up into different parts and our soul and, and, and YouTube teaching, <laughs> YouTube theology supports that idea that a soul is something that can be moved around and isn't actually attached to our body. And this thinking actually entered uh, the world in around the third century AD when Christianity became very popular and started to move through Rome and a lot of the, or the Roman Empire and a lot of the, the belief and thinking from Roman mythology started to enter into Christian teaching. And it's at that point that our Christian teaching started to separate our soul and, and create it as being something that is separate from who we are. But if we actually go back and look at what the word means when the Bible references the word soul, in, in the Hebrew, it's a word named nefesh. And in the Greek, it's a word named suhe, or it's actually spelled psyche, which is a word that we can relate to the soul. And those two words actually mean your life. They mean your being. They mean who you are. They don't talk about this separate kind of compartment that can be transported and associated with colors and animals and different lives and journey through the it Just it, it means yourself. The expression when we would say we might be talking about a, a, a boat and say there were 13 souls on board, that is actually the real meaning of the word. We're saying there were 13 lives on board. Anytime we read the word soul in the Bible, what it's actually telling us is that it means our life, our being, our expression, all that we are. So when Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul, what he was actually saying to us was, love the Lord your God with all parts of your life, your total being, not the idea of a soul that we, in a sense, don't have any control over or any input into, that we can just skip over that part because, oh yeah, that's our soul. We have this thinking around it that we don't have any influence or any, any control over our soul. But the word there, suhe, actually means all of our life. And that's what Jesus is talking about. But how frustrating is it when you read a commandment and it has the word all in it? You know, it's kind of really defining and really um, particular when it says all of your soul. Because now we understand that it's talking about all of our life. Don't you wish sometimes that it's kind of like when you, if you remember back then, when you applied for a casual job, like as a teenager, and you'd fill out the application form and it would say, you know, what days would you like to work? 
And what hours would you like to work those days? And, and how many hours would you like to work per week on average? And we could have this casual approach to how we worked and determine where it fits around our schedule and our social life and what we would like to do. But the commandment here is really precise in saying that it requires all of our life, all of our soul, everything that we are, all of our expression to be given all in love for God. And in John chapter 21, just a few pages over if you still use a a printed Bible. There's this time when uh, Jesus had just been resurrected and some of his disciples said, well, we're sick of sitting around doing nothing. We're going to go for a fish. We're going to go fishing because that's what they used to do. And it's, it's that story in the New Testament where the guys were out fishing all night without any luck. Who can relate to that? Yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't fish anymore. All night, fishing without any luck, Jesus comes down to the shore, offers them great advice, which anyone who's fishing loves it when another man gives them advice. Why don't you try your nets on the other side of the boat? They do that. They catch all the fish. And the Bible tells us that when they came back in, Jesus was waiting on the shore for them. It started a little fire, and they were having breakfast together. And, uh, and it says in John chapter 21, verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times he had to mention it, so it must be pretty important. Now, in case you're not aware, Jesus was not planning a vacation and asking Peter to come over and take care of his sheep while he was out of town. He was referring to his people, us, the people of the world, He's saying, Peter, if you love me, then you must take care of, feed, look after, and love my sheep. That's what it means to be all in love with God. It means that we need to also be all in love for the people, his sheep, the people that he leads. That's why the second part of that scripture that we're referencing in Mark chapter 12 is so important because... Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is love God. The second one, which is equally as important, is to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, our all-in life for love means that we live an all-in life for others. To love God with all our heart and all our soul means that we love Him and we care and we lead and we feed, and we look after those people that exist in our world. And that's what it means to love God and live that all in life. If we want to love Him, if we want to put our hand up and say we follow Him, then we equally have to do the same with the people that He has placed in our life. 
There's a scripture in the Old Testament. That was the introduction, by the way. Not as long as Steve's introduction last week. But it was a great message. If you missed last week, make sure you grab the podcast. He gave a great introduction to the series, which has saved me a good 20 minutes this week. So you can grab that off our website and listen to it. There's a scripture in the Old Testament in in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. And it says this. Anticipation. It's probably on the screen. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. That one scripture taken completely out of context, and I'm sure most of us in this room instantly know the story, the incredible story that surrounds that of the, of the account when David and Goliath met in the valley. And if there is any man that we can look at and say he had ups and downs in his life, he had good times and bad times, he had times to be proud, times to not be so proud, then it was David. But he is still remembered as the man who chased after God's own heart. He had a a heart after God, even though all the things that he faced in his life, all those mistakes, all those troubles, all those victories, all those rewards, he still is remembered as the greatest king and the king and the man who had a heart after God. A man who lived an all-in life for God all in life for love for people of the nation that he led and a man that gave all of his soul into what he was doing. And it's a great little story, a little story that time of David and Goliath. And I love, I love this verse in 1 Samuel 17, 14, that 40, when it talks about the fact that he bent down and picked up five smooth stones. Because if you jump over to later in, David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to study a little bit from here and and see some of the great things that David did in his all-in life. 2 Samuel 21 verse 15. So much further in David's career as a warrior king. And it says, Once again the Philistines were at war with Israel. And when David and his men were in the thick of battle, David became weak and exhausted. Ishbi Benob was a descendant of the giants. His bronze spearhead weighed more than seven pounds, and he was armed with a new sword. He had cornered David and was about to king, kill him. But Abishai, son of Zeruah, came to David's rescue and killed the Philistine. Then David's men declared, you are not going out into battle with us again. Why risk snuffing out the light of Israel? After this, there was another battle against the Philistines at Gob. As they fought, Sibekai from Husha killed Saph, another descendant of the giants. During another battle at Gob, Elhanan, son of Jer, from Bethlehem, killed the brother of Goliath of Gath. The handle of his spear was as thick as a weaver's beam. In another battle with the Philistines at Gath, they encountered a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in all, who was, using, who was also a descendant of the giants. But when he defied and taunted Israel, he was killed by Jonathan, the son of David, 
David's brother Shimei. These four Philistines were descendants of the giants of Gath, but David and his warriors killed them. Really interesting thing to consider here, because when we looked at 1 Samuel 17, 40, here is David and he bends down into a stream to fight one giant and picks up five stones. And then we jump over to, to getting towards the end of David's career, his, his life as a warrior king. And we read, and I don't know if you did the math as well, but during his time in leading the army and fighting as a warrior, he killed four more giants. Five giants in total. Five stones that he picked up from that brook in the valley. Five giants that were set aside for him to defeat in his life. Now we know the story of David and Goliath so well. We've been, I grew up hearing that like every third week in Sunday school. It was like the default that we go to. Oh, what are we going to do this week? Let's do David and Goliath. Kids love it. There's giants and swords. And we know the story so well. And, and I've shared on it before that I have this, this theory or this belief that the, the picture that we've painted of David fighting Goliath being that he was the underdog and got away with a lucky shot or like the stone grew supernatural angel wings and was guided through the air by God and, and, and hit the giant in the forehead isn't actually what happened. I believe that he was positioned and he was purposed and experienced and had the strength and the courage of God on top of that to win that battle before he even set foot into the camp that day. We read in the Bible that, that David had the, the high side advantage. He was coming down into the valley. The giant was in the valley. Goliath was skilled in close hand-to-hand combat. He wasn't expecting to be taken out by a rock hurling towards him. The Bible indicates that Goliath may have had poor eyesight. He needed the help of someone to get things, get, get through and navigate his way into the valley. And not only that, he, he, David was a slinger. And we like to think that slingers are, you know, kids' toys, but they were the equivalent in ancient military warfare of a modern day sniper. There are reports outside of the Bible that say that a slinger could hit a bird out of a sky in flight. They were extremely accurate and extremely good at what they did. Not only that, You'll remember the Sunday school where you see the, the little kid fighting the lion and the bear. Like David fought lions and bears. David fought lions and bears. And let's not just read that like a Sunday school. I mean, how many of us here have taken out a bear or a lion? Exactly. You know, David was experienced. He was skilled. He was a warrior. He looked at that giant and said, what are you talking about, guys? We can take him. And he walked out and took him. I do believe that God was there, that God was a part of it. God gave him the strength and the courage, but I also believe that God positioned and purposed David for that win that day. It wasn't just a lucky shot or some supernatural wind that carried that rock over to where he was. So when he bent down that day and looked into a stream, and I have raided my mother's garden for five smooth stones. I have them. And he looked down. Why did he pick up five? 
to him, the giant was not an opponent that even seemed to concern him. He didn't want to wear armor. He wanted to stroll down in there and just take him out before breakfast. Why did he pick up five stones? Was it the right amount that fit into his pouch? When he was trained, did someone tell him, you always take five stones with you? Did he think that maybe he needed some backups? Was it just that five caught his attention? Was it just by any chance that he just looked down and saw five and thought, I'm going to take those five. They're sparkling nicely in this flowing water through this valley. Or did somehow, in some way, in his commitment or in his spirit or in some supernatural way, did he know that in his all-in life, that he would be required to remove five giants in total that were coming against the people that he equally loved as much as God. Just perhaps by chance, was there something in his spirit that said, in my life, in leading these people, in loving God, in loving others, in living my all in life, Am I going to have to face more giants than just this one that is taunting me in this valley today? It blows my mind to think about that when then we jump over to later in his life and realize one, two, three, four, five giants. Things don't happen by coincidence in the Bible. It's not just by accident that it happened to be in there that the numbers match. There has to be a reason behind it. But what blows my mind is I wonder what would have happened if David picked up three. Maybe I'll get the answer to that question one day. Would he have only faced three giants in his life? What if he had scooped up ten? What if that day he took his big hunting pouch and he scooped up ten smooth stones from the brook? Would more giants have been faced and more people in the nation of Israel be saved and be freed from more battles that he faced? What would have happened if he picked up 10 for his all-in life? So ask the question of us today. As we live an all-in life, giving all of our soul, all of who we are to God to love him and to love others, how many stones do we bend down and pick up to take into our life to fight the giants that would come against the people that Jesus has told us to love, to love, and to love? Because the thing is, our salvation was never intended to be our arrival. Our salvation is activation. Lord, I give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me. What's next? What are my standing orders? Well, you need to love me and you need to love people. Well, how does that look like, God? Well, it's really simple. Take your all-in life and go into all the world and make some more all-in disciples to follow me. That's what it looks like, an all-in life. That's our standing orders because our salvation was never intended to be our arrival. We're here, excellent. 
if that was the case, we would have had this beam me up Scotty moment where boom, give your life to God and straight away you're at the, the heavenly gates and off we go, job's done. But no, we're left here for a reason to join in the mission that God has to do. He says, thank you for giving your life to me. You're now activated. Now pick up some stones and go and fight some giants. See the nation freed, see the nation saved, and see more people become an all-in kind of living life. Salvation, what we signed up for. It's all about picking up stones and going and fight giants. So how many stones will we pick up in our life? Will we trust God and fill that pouch that he's given us? Or do we pick a couple and who knows what David's career may have looked like? I'm looking forward to asking that question one day and finding out. Our good friend, Joel, who's now back in America, he, uh, he tells this story, and, and uh, I hope I get it right, but he says, he tells this time about where he had a dream. And uh, he, got, he was seeing himself being toured around heaven by an angel. And uh, I hope I get this right, but either way, the analogy is going to work. And this will test if he actually does listen to the podcast while he's away or if he just says that he does. So I'm going to get a message if he does. Don't you tell him, Danny? This is a test. But he tells this story about being toured around this mansion by an angel and it's, and it's the idea of the mansion that's been set aside for him in heaven. And the angel takes him to this room and opens it up and it's full of boxes, wrapped gifts and, and big boxes and little boxes. And he says to the angel, what, what is this room? And the angel says, you don't want to know what it's about. He said, no, I do. That's why I asked. The angel said, well, this is all the opportunities in your life that you missed. All the encounters that God had for you all the paths that he made, all the doors that he put in front of you, and for some reason, you missed it, and and now they're just stored up here, and they're, they're wasted now, they're in heaven. Essentially, these are all the stones that you should have picked up in your life and started slinging them at giants so that you could free some more people and see some more people know the all-in kind of life that you know about. See, once we get there, it's too late. There's no evangelism in heaven. It's in this life, it's today, that we pick up the stones and decide how all-in we are going to live our life. How many giants we are going to slay each and every day. As we give everything that we are, our entire soul, to the room full of gifts and opportunities that God has set aside for us to do. So that's what salvation is. It's my favorite scripture, Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. That we have been saved for a purpose. To do the good works that he set aside for us long ago. I think it's an incredible, exciting thing when we capture 
that our Christianity, that our commitment to God, that our all-in soul life was not just to arrive at an end point, but it's just the beginning. That there's a secret mission, a room full of boxes, a stream full of stones that need to be picked up. There's a time in David's life, not long after, he was still a young man, not long after he faced Goliath. It was quite a few years, but in the Bible, it's just a few chapters. And at that point, he's living in the kingdom, he's serving the king, and Saul is trying to kill him. He knows that he's the next king in line, and he wants to get rid of him. And so Saul's son, Jonathan, who is also best friends with David, he warns him and says, you need to flee. You need to get away. My father is going to kill you. He has a plan. And so David does exactly that. He, he, he goes from right where he is at that moment and he runs and he leaves. And he goes and seeks out a priest named Ahimelech. And he finds Ahimelech and he says, can you feed me? Can you give me a refuge? I have some men with me. Feed me. And Ahimelech does that. And then David asks this very powerful question. And honestly, if, if the last 20 minutes for you have been thinking about the family picnic or writing your shopping list or doing a sneaky Instagram update, I don't care what you've done as long as you capture this next part. Because this is the part that can change your heart and renew your mind this morning if you capture it. Because David says to Ahimelech, do you have a spear or a sword? Because I have left with nothing. I have fleed for my life. I stand here without anything. I'm the anointed king to be. I'm the leader of the army. I'm the great hero that killed 10,000 as they sing about me. But I stand here before you with nothing. Do you have a spear or a sword? And Ahimelech says to him, well, actually we do. Funny thing to have in the temple of God, in the sanctuary for a priest to have. He says, actually we do. Over there, in the altar behind the ephod, where the presence of God hangs out, do you know what we actually have there, wrapped up in cloth? We have Goliath's sword. And David says, there's no sword like that. I'll take that. You know, when we find ourselves in our life, arrived at that point of activation through our salvation, and we get to that all-in moment, And we lean down at that stream and we say, God, what's the good works that you have for me? How many giants am I going to slay in this life? How many people are going to be free? How saved is the nation going to become because of my life? We look down in that brook and we think, I can't pick up that many stones. I can't pick up five stones. I'm not worthy of that. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Mistakes I've made. Things people have said about me. The regrets that I have. The consequences that I still carry today. And our view of our worthiness 
and how we feel we can face life determines how many stones we pick up. And we walk away with just a couple. And that whole room that Joel saw in his dream becomes full of missed opportunities. But you know that the giant that once came into a valley to try and kill you, that thing that the enemy sent against you, that mountain that seemed too big to climb, all of those things that the enemy sent to try and take away your life and try and fill your mansion with missed opportunities and allow you to sit in a position where you can't even pick up a single stone to fight a giant. All those things that the enemy sent to destroy you that stood in a valley and taunted you, will they now become the weapon that you have to go and fight more giants in your life? When David said, I have nothing, Ahimelech said, no, you don't. You have the sword of Goliath. What an incredible thing. One stone, he killed a giant and then carried that sword as he eliminated the rest. That thing that was to come and destroy him and to come and kill him and to take out the nation of people and to leave him dead in a valley now becomes the weapon that he carried to free his nation and to kill even more giants. All because as a young man sent to the war front to deliver cheese and bread to his brothers, he bowed his knee at a brook and said, I will pick up as many stones as I can carry. In our life, we've all faced giants. Our life is full of reasons why we can't carry stones. But hear the words of Ahimelech this morning. Goliath's sword is wrapped. And you know where it was? Behind the altar, behind the ephod in the presence of God. That is where you find your victory. That is where you find your all in. That is where your whole entire life comes. Not on a battlefield, not in a valley, not by a brook. It's when you bow your knee at the altar of God and say, here I am. Give me a weapon. We've got some giants to kill. Can we stand this morning?